Hey, good morning, church. Hey, you know what? I think we can even, I just need to ramp it up a little bit. Would you stand just a moment? We haven't done this in a while. I'm excited about this series. I want you to be excited about this series. I think this is going to be a, a fun six weeks, but a transformative six weeks. And so just to get our blood flowing a little bit, uh, can you just greet someone around you, tell them you're glad they're here today, and then have a seat. Don't go crazy. Some of you like to go crazy. Introverts, it'll be over with real soon. Hey, Keith. All right. All right. Good morning. I'm excited for this series. If you're joining us online, we're so glad you're here today. Um, I, I couldn't be more excited about this series than um, in my nine years that I've been here. I don't want to oversell it. I don't want to undersell it. But I really believe this could be a formative uh, message series for our, for our church. I believe it could be a formative message series for you and as for me as individuals. And so I'm excited about this next six weeks together. And if it's your first first time here or you're new here, what a great time to be here. Because at the end of this six weeks, if you don't know who we are and where we're going and what we are trying to do, then I have failed miserably. And we have failed miserably if we have not done that. I just believe this is going to be a great series, really highlighting where God is taking us and where we're going. And I know sometimes if you've been here for a long time, you've heard me get excited about other series and you're like, I've heard this before. Um, I've been in a couple um, months, I'll have been here nine years. So I get it. Um, this church, I know as well, if you've been here a long time, we're getting close to 120 years old. We've been around a long time. Uh, the average life of a church is like a human. It's 70. So uh, we're, we're well into the fourth quarter or overtime, if you will. But I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. And the reason I don't think it's a bad thing, and it kind of pains me to do this, but I want to be a gracious loser. But one last illustration of the Chiefs today. Um, so congratulations to you. Need to work on your partying a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, but anyway, that's the, no judgment, Kent, no judgment. Okay. Um, but when Mahomes and Reed get to the fourth quarter and they get to overtime, it's almost like game over. I mean, they go to another level. They go, they're, they're more intense. They're more focused. And you just get this feeling that they're going to play their best. They just play their best in the fourth quarter and in overtime. And I believe the same can be for us. I don't believe we have to look at ourselves as we're old. I believe that we can play some of our best, to use sports terminology. I believe we can play some of our best game in life when we are at this place in our church and in our life. I believe it's an opportunity for us. Um, and I know if you're watching the events of the world and things that are going on, some of you get discouraged. I get discouraged sometimes by watching. Just don't watch the news. You won't get discouraged. But sometimes you get discouraged and sometimes you think, you know, or, or maybe we're living in the last days or the end. We do believe that Jesus is coming again. It's not something that we dread. We're excited for it because we believe it's going to be a great day. But we also know that there's some apprehensions about those things. And I would just say, if you're in that place and you feel like, man, I could believe we could be living in the last days. Can I challenge you? I think we should be playing our best. 
I think we should be at the top of our game. I should think we should be pursuing the one more than we've ever pursued before. That we should be going and sharing the love of God with our coworkers, with our classmates, with our family. That we should be inviting the one into our community to experience the love and the grace of God. I also have looked at this another way. And one thing I would say on that last thing was my dad growing up used to say that some people, he was a pastor, he says some people are so heaven heaven focused and so end of times focused that they're no earthly good. Know what I mean? We should be at our best. We should be we should be loving people like we've never loved before. We should be inviting people into the community of faith and embracing them with open arms. We should be playing our best. And another way I kind of looked at this is in going there, we're getting ready to baseball season, ready to go to a new sport, uh, kind of in basketball right now, getting ready to go to baseball. I am just a couple months away from finishing nine years as your lead pastor. You could look at that and go, okay, we're at the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> we're kind of getting tired. We're getting, I don't look at it that way. I think about that little boy, that little league baseball player who's sitting on the bench, who's watching his team. They're down 15 to nothing. A business owner driving by takes notice that this little boy is smiling from ear to ear. He seems to be really happy at things. And he's going, I don't get this. The, the body language and the facial expressions is not matching up with what the score looks like. So he stops by intrigued and says to this little guy, he said, hey, do you know the score? And he's like, yeah. He's like, well, what is it? He goes, it's 15 nothing he goes and you're smiling you seem pretty happy Uh, are you not down are you not discouraged and the little boy said why would I be discouraged we haven't even got up to bat yet that's how I feel about our church that's how I feel about you and me is I just think we are getting started. I just think that we're beginning and I love the scripture found in Isaiah 4318 that says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past, good or bad. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? We're starting this series called Move. Here's what I believe. I believe that God is is on the move in people's lives. I believe he's on the move in every person's life. Whether they know it or not, whether they perceive it or not, Whether they respond or not doesn't negate that God is moving, pursuing. Let me make it personal. I believe God is on the move in your life. I believe God is on the move in your life and my life. Whether you know it or not today, whether you perceive his activity in your life or not today, and even whether you respond to it or not, God is on the move in your life. He's pursuing you. He's after you. He wants more for you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to be strong in your walk and your faith with him. I believe God is moving in people's life. And the goal of this series is that we would recognize the movement of God in our lives, that we would be able to more recognize and be able to see God moving in your life, in my life, in our church's life. God is on the move. We've seen throughout scriptures and in our own experiences, four moves that God makes. And we get them some names today, but four moves that God has made. And wherever you are in this journey, our hope is that you will take your next move. We're all in different places. Some of us haven't started the journey of our faith. Some of us are maybe in the middle of our faith. Maybe some of us are in the fourth quarter, 
But wherever we are, there is a move to be made. God is not done with you. God is just getting started and he wants to activate our faith, transform our lives and change our world through four movements that we've kind of given language to it. The first is to invite into community. We're going to talk about all four of these things over the next six weeks. You're going to say, well, there's only four. Well, we're going to spend three weeks on identity because this is a huge, it's a big deal. Because when you discover your true identity, who God made you to be, that you were made on purpose for a purpose, that God has unique giftings that are for you and you alone for a, for a great mission that he has for you to accomplish in this world. It is a game changer when you discover that you have an identity that is and a purpose in Christ. And when you get that, it's a game changer. So we're going to spend three weeks there. But the, the journey is a progression. And it starts with inviting people into community. And God starts by inviting into community. From the very beginning, as you saw in the quick little uh, bumper video to start the, the message, that God did not create us to live alone. He said it's not good that man is alone. He made us for community. He made us for others. In fact, one of the first things he did was he established a community. He, he built a family, a special community, the, the children of Israel. And the country of Israel today is that chosen people of God. It is his family. Not that we're not chosen, but God wanted to establish a family to display his glory, to bless all the world through them. But there's this invitation to be a part of a community and God invites us into community. And then when he invites us into community, he does it so that we will engage with him. That we'll engage with God, that we'll in, have an encounter with God. The whole reason God set up community and invites us into community is so that we will experience and encounter God. It's what we want for you each and every Sunday that you're here. Why gather? I believe the reason we gather is we want to encounter God. And there's something about how God in, in encounters us and we encounter God in the confines of engaging in and in interacting and being, in being a part of a community that we can claim our identity. I kind of hit that so that in the end, we can make an impact that God wants us to make in our world. God most often pursues you and me he pursues us by inviting us into his community, to inviting us into the church. I'm not saying it's 100%. We don't limit to God in a box. I, I hear stories, I've read of stories in recent days that there's like a couple hundred men uh, that are Muslims, that they all received the same dream. They seen the same dream about Jesus and they gave their heart and life to Jesus. They found salvation. God can work in all different ways. He's not limited by time and space, by our, our uh, inabilities or our our talents, God can, but the way that he most works is inviting people into community, inviting people into the church so that they can have an encounter with God, so they can claim their identity in Christ, so they can make an impact in this world. And wherever you find yourself in this journey, just know God has you right where he wants you, but he wants you to take that next step to make that next move. God made the first move. Today we're starting with invite into community because that's the beginning point. That's the beginning point of any relationship. In my day, eons ago, it was something like, um, can I get your phone number? Today I'm really confused. 
I don't have a solid footing. I don't have real confidence in the things that I'm saying. Correct me when I get, when I'm done here. But today I think it's something like, can I get your Snapchat? You know, it's a little bit different. In my day, it was, hey, will you go out with me? Today, I'm again, I'm not positive and I may be an idiot for saying this, but what I've kind of heard is we're talking, which I thought that's what you did in a relationship is you were talking and then it kind of progresses. I don't understand those progressions and how they work. I think the last one to, to invite into that last part of that relationship, I think it's the same. I'm a little confused on this one too, but I think it's, will you marry me? I think that's, I think that's the last one, which is a, it's a good one for us to talk about because it's the closest thing to covenant language. Covenant language that is used all throughout scriptures. A covenant was an irrevocable binding contract contract that was not meant to be broken. And obviously we don't have time to get into this, but in the Old Testament, they broke it over and over and over and only God fulfilled the broken part of that contract. He was faithful when we were unfaithful. There's a lot of good messages from this, but God, the way he entered into relationship was he entered into covenants with people. He entered into a covenant with Adam. He entered into a covenant with Abraham. He entered into a covenant with Moses. He entered into a covenant with King David. He entered into a covenant with his people, Israel. He entered into a covenant because it was a move on his part to initiate a, a, a relationship. The whole purpose of the covenant was God wanted to initiate a relationship with you and me. And the language of that day was covenant language. It was very, it was a thing that that people, though the people of that day understood. So God came to us in terminology and in our culture and ways that we understand. And he, he entered into covenant relationship with his people and he established a community. And then Jesus came along and, uh, and 2,000 years ago. Jesus came along and established a new covenant because he fulfilled all the old covenants that we could not keep. He fulfilled all of that. D- doing away with them, he established a new covenant because he had fulfilled the old covenants. He established a new covenant. And this new covenant did something that was amazing. It opened wide the barn doors of invitation. It was a wide invitation. Before it was, you have to do this and this and this to be Jewish. You have to do this and this and this to be part of the family. You have to be qualified. You have to, or you could be disqualified, but you have to, you have to attain some type of standard. And Jesus kind of blew this all up and he blew open up the door. He blew the doors open of invitation, inviting those who would not have been invited before. He invited prostitutes. He invited the woman at the well that was caught in adultery. He invited the marginalized and the outcast. He invited the drunkards. He invited the addicts. He invited the sinners. And if you're one of those today, I have good news. You're invited because Jesus opened the invitation doors. He blew the doors wide open through the invitation to join his family. God made a move towards us. He invited us. And I want to look at one, just one uh, model of his invitation when he called his 12 disciples. So today, if you want to join me in Mark, we're going to be in chapters one, um, two, and three today. But Mark chapter one, verse 16 is where we're going to start. Uh, We're going to look at a couple things. One is how did he call? 
And the second is, who did he call? How did Jesus go about calling people into this invitation, this family? And then who did he call? The first of all, the how. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Without delay, Jesus, without pre-qualifications, without disqualifying qualifications, he has simply invited them to follow me. I don't want us to miss how simple this is. I don't want us to miss that this was not meant to be complicated. This was not meant to be rocket science. It was a simple invitation. Right now, at this moment, follow me. And then I want us to look at who, who he invited. Jesus went up to the mountainside and he called to them those he wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and they might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John. To, to them he gave the name Bonagerus, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, which if you read in the Gospel of John, Nathaniel, it's the same person, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. These were the twelve, these were, excuse me, these were the twelve that Jesus invited into a community to start something special. And I want us to take notice of who he invited. One is he invited four fishermen, Andrew, Peter, James and John. Now in Acts later on, after Jesus ascended back to heaven and Peter preached that powerful message after the resurrection, that 3,000 were added to their number that day, it is said in Acts that the people noticed that they had been with Jesus even though they were unschooled and ordinary men. They weren't special. They were unschooled. The people recognized them as just ordinary guys, not at the top of the food chain, not at the top of the socioeconomic ladder, just ordinary fishermen, smelly fishermen, um, I would say. When I've gone fishing, I usually come back, I need to shower, smell. So he, 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 there's no qualifications, pre-qualifications. He, he, he invited four fishermen. We also know that there's some guys in here James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus. There's a few guys that really scripture doesn't really tell. We can find other writings outside of scripture that indicate what they did, but scripture doesn't really indicate what they did and who they were. So I'm just throwing them into the category of no names. God, Jesus invited some fishermen, unschooled, ordinary men. He invited some no names. He invited Thomas. What do we know about Thomas? We know that Thomas was a doubter. He struggled with doubts, which is really good news if you're watching or if you're here this morning and you struggle with doubts about God. You struggle with who he is and who he claims to be. Jesus had room in his circle for doubters. He invited those who are struggling with faith. He invited them into his inner circle. And then he, he got polar opposites. 
we see that Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. I mean, there couldn't be two polar opposites of people that he invited to be a part of his inner circle. Matthew was a a traitor to his own Jewish people, uh, a thieving tax collector who wasn't probably known for his ethics and his integrity and his character. He invited him. And at the same time, he invited Simon the zealot. Zealot was like a terrorist. It was like someone who wanted to bring down the government, tear the government apart. So you got Matthew who's trying to build the government and you got Simon the zealot who's trying to dismantle the government, tear it apart. And Jesus thought, this would be a good idea. Let's bring these two guys together and let's bring them into this circle. It didn't matter, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. There was no limits to his invitation. And then of course, Judas who didn't make it to the end because he betrayed Jesus. But when Jesus asked Judas to be one of his 12, him being fully God, knowing all things, knew that Judas would betray him, knew that Judas was going to inflict pain on him and be the source of misery to him. Who of us in this room, when we're picking our friends and people, the closest people around us, intentionally pick someone we think is going to hurt us, betray us, backstab us, cause misery and harm to us? Not me. (laughs) Not me. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus knew and he invited his, he threw open the door of invitation. Jesus modeled a wide net of invitation. He didn't pre-qualify. He didn't disqualify based on reputation, based on their past, based on anything that was, was thought of them. He didn't, he didn't on appearance. And that's good news for us. I want us to get this. If there's one thing you want to write in your notes today, this is something that I just been thinking over and over about this week is Jesus didn't go fishing with small hooks. He went fishing with wide nets. He didn't go fishing one at a time. He didn't go fishing small. He went fishing big. He went after it. And he didn't fish with small hooks, but with wide nets. Jesus taught and modeled wide, the wide net of the invitation in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to skip past Matthew. All I'm going to say about Matthew is this. Matthew got the same invitation as a tax collector that the fishermen did and everyone else did. And yet they're all probably going, why is he getting invited? Well, maybe I do need to do that. I'll miss something if I don't. Once again, Jesus was on a lake, a large crowd that came to him and he began to teach them as he walked along. He saw Levi, which is Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him to the dismay of probably all the disciples at that point. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. There were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He asked over and over. He invited over and over. He was looking for those 
who didn't need help, even though all of us need help. He was looking for those who needed help. When one of those, I'm gonna go on to Luke chapter 14. When one of those at the table with him heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Just a little context here. This is a guy that's feeling pretty good about his standing with God. He's pretty, feeling pretty self-righteous. He feels like, hey, I belong. I'm a belonger. I'm pretty good. I do more good than I do bad. And so, hey, Jesus, how good is it gonna be for us, us righteous ones that are at the kingdom of God and the feast of his table? And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go to the roads, out into the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus modeled a wide net. He modeled a culture of invitation. And Jesus wasn't looking for people that were qualified. He was looking for people who were available. People who would say yes. And Jesus is looking for the same people today. There's two camps of people. There's two camps. Those who will believe and those who won't. Those who will say yes and those who will say no. But the invitation is to everybody. He doesn't disqualify. He doesn't pre-qualify. Everyone starts at the same place with a simple invitation. Follow me. Follow me. And and when they say no, he says, well, keep going. (laughs) Keep going and find others. And, and, and don't qualify them based on looks or appearances. Just go after them. I want my house to be full because I got a lot of love to give. I got a lot of love to share with this world and I want everyone to experience it. So if they say no, move on to the next. Find another that my house may be full. And this created a problem for the Pharisees going back to Mark two sixteen when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors. They said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The religious people, the church leaders had a problem. The church was getting messy. The church was getting uncomfortable. People that didn't look like them, act like them, behave like them, Jesus was hanging around with them. And Jesus was spending so much time with the prostitutes, with the adulterers, with the, with the outcasts and the marginalized, with the addicts and the drunkards. He was spending so much time with them that he was being accused of being one of them. I'm not advocating that we sin. Jesus He spent time with them, yet without sin. I'm not advocating that we join in on the sin, but I am advocating that 
Have we ever got a reputation that maybe wasn't as good because we were hanging out with the people that Jesus hung out with? Are we spending time with those who don't look like us, act like us, don't sin like us? Are are we allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable as Jesus did? Because Jesus opened a wide net. He came after them and, and I love how he responded to them. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've called to come sinners. I've come after the people that you don't think I've come after. And while you don't know that you're sick and need help, I'll I'll let you play your game and think that you're okay. But the reality is I've come after those who know they need help, who know they're lost, who know they need a savior, who know that they're broken. And I will clean them up. Jesus didn't fish with little hooks, but with wide nets. And I think about how Jesus, how he gave us an example of how we're to fish. Every church that I've ever uh, been a pastor of, usually within the first two or three weeks, the manly, the manly men, that's a hard one to say, the manly men of the church, the studs of the church, approach what they think is a studly pastor, I guess. And they say, hey, you want to go hunting or you want to go fishing? I'm not against hunting. I just didn't grow up with it. I've never really hunted before in my life. And I'm going to be finding all my hunters if the food supply chain goes bad. I'm going to be looking for you guys. I need you to help feed my family. Uh, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to guns or anything like that. I'm just not a hunter. And truth be told, I'm not much of a fisherman, but I have fished a little bit before. So when I've had those men come up to me when I'm first at the church and they say, hey, you want to go fishing? That'd be fun. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to go fishing with you if we can fish like we did, well, like I did growing up with my 90-something-year-old grandmother. And fishermen are always intrigued by that. And they want to know, what is your grandmother's secret? How does she fish? And how do you fish with her? And I said, oh, it's, it's easy. She baits the hook and takes the fish off for me. And she does all the cleaning. Are you surprised that I never have been invited to fish after that? None of those guys are like, hey, yeah, I'd love to do that. You'd be a lot of fun. Come with me. That's never happened. It's probably going to happen now because you feel sorry for me or something. But I'm here to say that Jesus is the best fishing partner. There is no better fishing partner than Jesus because Jesus does the cleaning. He just lets us do the fishing. He lets us go out and throw the bait. He lets us do the inviting. He doesn't want us, require of us. He he doesn't want us to, to do the cleaning. He's the one that does the cleaning. And I find it so freeing to know that it's not my job to clean people up. I find it, and I hope you find it freeing, that it's not your job to clean people. It's not your job to clean them up of their sins that look different than yours. Your job is simple. Invite. Go after your one. Let them know how much God loves them. Let them know how much you believe God is for them. And God has better days for them. And invite them to to, to join you and to see what God is doing. But we don't have to do the cleaning. We don't have to clean them up. And, and my hope and my prayer is that our church gets messier, not cleaner. I think the best looking church is a church that gets a little confusing. 
gets a little bit not confusing in our faith or our theology or doctrine. Please don't take me out of context or take me out of quotation. But there should be all sorts of people that don't look like us, that don't act like us. The Pharisees, they got really uncomfortable because they were seeing things that weren't their sins and they didn't even see their own sin. They were so blind to that. And they were so exclusive and Jesus was so inclusive. And and it was this this wide open invitation. And, And church, don't be afraid of the mess because you and I are a mess. Jesus simply gave us, come and follow me and I'll send you out for fit to fish for people. That's your job. All, you go fishing, you go inviting, you tell them what God's done for you, but you don't have to have that responsibility or that burden of helping people get cleaned up, look better, act better, behave better. No, we just get to, we get to love people. We get to invite people. Jesus told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed into the field? Where then did the weeds come from? Same question I ask myself in a couple of weeks, every spring, where do these weeds come from? I did not plant them. An enemy did this. Satan is getting into my yard every spring. An enemy did this. Sorry, sorry, squirrel, sidetrack. He replied, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them away? No, he answered, because while you're out pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. There is gonna be a judgment. Don't hear me wrong. There is gonna be a judgment. God, but God is gonna be the one that judges, not us. None of us stand in the judgment seat. Let's not pre-qualify, disqualify anyone based on sins that we might be uncomfortable with, based on sins that we may not be used to. Because God doesn't qualify sin. He doesn't look at one sin worse than the other. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And the gospel that we preach in every week is not that we are good people in need of just getting better. You can go to self-help book in the Barnes and Nobles for that. You can get on Amazon online and look for all the self-help books that say that we're, 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 we're kind of good people that just need to get better. And that's the politically correct thing to say, but that's not the gospel we preach. The gospel we preach is we are sinners in need of a savior. Why gather, why come? We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a savior to save us from our sins. That's the gospel that we preach. And that's why it's good news. So don't be afraid of a mess or don't be afraid of sins that look different than yours. Don't worry about your reputation. Jesus wasn't worried about his reputation because he knew who he was. Friends, We don't need to worry about our reputation if we know who we are in Christ. If we know whose child and daughter we are. This doesn't mean that we don't preach of the dangers of sin, that we don't preach truth and grace. Uh, Recently, uh, my oldest, Reagan, she's a graphic designer, large Christian high school in Clearwater, Florida. And recently a student, a sophomore gal was caught on videotape stealing a nice 
thermos. It must have been a nice thermos to want to steal that. And these kids that go to the school have the money, so I don't know why she's doing this. But anyway, she, she takes this thermos. She's caught on tape. Uh, the administration brings this student in and her parents shows the video. She admits to it, but her parents interrupt and stop the conversation and say, hey, we just want you to know that we don't use the word stealing in our home. We don't say the word steal. We don't acknowledge stealing. So we're not going to do this. Well, I don't know what you do with that. I'm glad I'm not the principal. I don't know what to do with that. Um, they said, well, what did you do? And I think she said something like, well, someone else borrowed my thermos or used it. And so I grabbed someone else's thermos and I'm using it. I'm not stealing. I think it's a great disservice to our kids when we do that. But what's a greater disservice is to not acknowledge that we're in sinners in need of a savior. We're gonna call sin, sin. We're gonna call anything that's in the Bible that is sin, it's sin to us. Not because we're the authority, but because we believe scripture is the authority. We believe that it's sin, but we, I'm just making the point today is we don't have to disqualify or pre-qualify anyone from being in here no matter what they look like, act like, behave like, what their reputation is, we have been given the freedom to say, our arms are open wide because Jesus's arms are open wide and you're welcome here and you can bring your crud here. You can bring your stuff here. You're welcome in this place. We're not the judge. We don't condemn God's word. His truth is the one that judges. He's the one that cleans people up. We just get to love people. We get to welcome them. We get to teach the truth of God. We get, to, we, get to t- we get to tell, we get to preach the grace and truth. But friends, we get to welcome people here. We're just a center where, we're just a place where sinners can feel comfortable in our community as they discover who Jesus is and find their true identity in him. So what's our response? God made his move. What was God's move? He made the first move. God always makes the first move. In the Old Testament, he always made the first move. And when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins, it was him making the first move. What's our move? I want to share two moves for us as a church. I believe in many ways we're already doing this, but I believe just like Mahomes and Andy Reid, it's fourth quarter, it's overtime. I think we need to raise our game. I think we need to get better at this. And that's, that's a couple things. One is, is our move is to create a culture of invitation where we're just inviting people. We're just inviting people. No matter what they act like, look like, coworkers, classmates, neighbors. We just simply get to invite people because how did you first come to Christ? You were invited. Someone invited you. Maybe it was like someone like me, but you grew up and you're, you, you had to go to church. Your, your parents, you know, they invited you. They led you there. Or, or for some of you, it was a coworker. It was a classmate. But we all started with an invitation. And, and may we be a church that just simply continues to think about our one who's for the one that, that we're thinking about each and every week. Who could we invite? Who needs to hear the good news that God loves them? He sent his son to die on a cross for them to pay the penalty for their sins and to offer them eternal life. Who could use that? Who in my life could use that? We wanna be a a place that invites. And secondly, we wanna be a place of a culture of acceptance because not each and every week the people that we invite come, but each and every week there's people that our friends have invited. And so we wanna be that place 
That we're not just thinking about ourselves when we come through the doors. And what am I getting out of today? And what am I getting from this service? And is the preacher going to stink or is he going to be good today? Or is the music going to suck or is it going to be good today? Uh, Sorry, mom. Um, Stink, stink, stink. Um, Dad, really apologize to you. I'm going to get a lashing today after this service. Um, But we're a church full of grace, right? We love, we accept. But we have an opportunity to be friends to people of our friends that bring their friends, that everyone that comes to these doors feels known, valued, and accepted. That every single person is of an infinite worth to our heavenly father. Every single person that walks through these doors is of infinite worth that Jesus died for their sins and wants them to have the best life by surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. That is our hope and our prayer. And one invitation can make all the difference. I've seen it over and over. One invitation can make all the difference. I don't have time to share the whole story. I'm just gonna share half of it because I only shared half of it in the first service. So it would be right for me to finish it in the second service. But I know a guy named Sean. And his dad, Arlen, his sophomore year of high school, his parents divorced. It's all he'd ever known is brokenness. His parents divorced, his grandparents divorced, his great, his, grand, his great-grandparents divorced, his great-great-grandparents. He knew nothing but divorce in his family. In the sophomore year of high school, his mom and dad divorced. His dad was the captain of the police department there in the uh, suburb of Kansas City. His dad was not a great man at that time. Um... I don't want to paint it bigger than what it was, but there was some physical abuse. I'm not want to make it sexual or whatever else, but it was physical. There was definitely emotional and verbal abuse. You see this captain of the police department. He was there to guard and protect the law throughout the week, but he couldn't even guard and protect the law in his own home. And when that divorce took place, Sean's brother, Monty, and sister, Christy, they went to live with mom. Sean, being the oldest, went to live with dad. And a pastor in that community, being the captain of the police department, he had to make those hard knock on the doors and calls to the next of kin when a tragedy had taken place and there was a loss of life. And he was teamed up with a local pastor And this local pastor didn't judge him, condemn him. He just began to love him, began to share with him, began to to encounter and engage with life with him. And I'm just here to tell you today, I'm gonna finish the story next week, but I wanna tell you, you never know what an invitation does, not just for one person. The reason we invite, and I'll share the rest of this story next week. The reason that we invite is we want people to engage with God. We want them to encounter God. We want them to encounter God's love in all their brokenness and all their pain and all their sin and all their hurt and all their stuff and all their habits. We want them to encounter God. And that encounter with God comes first by be an inviting community that invites people to come just as they are 
to experience his love. And I'm going to tell you the rest of that story next week because it's a great story. And it's a reminder of how awesome our God is. Would you stand with me this morning? You guys are always good. I'm excited about this series. I believe that God is at move in your life, in my life. He's at move in our community's life. Whether people know it or not, whether they perceive it or not, whether they even respond to it or not, God is on the move in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. We're going to pray a final prayer in just a minute. But I just want to remind you this morning that God made the first move. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sin and my sin. That if anyone believes in him, they shall not die an eternal death, but they will live eternally with him. They'll have peace with God. They'll have hope in Christ. And they'll have joy that they never knew. And if you don't have that joy, that peace, that hope this morning, I'm not gonna embarrass you to call you out, but we pray a simple prayer at the end of our service today. We do it all together. But if that's you today and God is speaking to your heart, would you just raise your hand? God's invited you. He's asked you, but it's your responsibility now to reply, respond. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force you. He doesn't make you. But if God's calling you right now, would you just by faith, would you take that step and just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else just raise that hand high? No one's looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else to my right? God loves you. God sent his son for you. He paid the price for you. He made a move towards you because he loves you. And because of that, we're gonna invite Christ into our hearts with these that have raised their hand today. Would you join me in prayer this morning? You can, raise your, your, you can open your uh, eyes and raise your heads. We're gonna pray a prayer that we pray together. It's a confession of our faith that we believe. Let's say it like we mean it. And those that are praying this for the first time, we get to join them in celebrating this prayer together today. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate with those that made that decision today?